In a moment, we'll commence today's show talking politics with our regular contributor, civil rights attorney and towering public intellectual Connie Rice after I take a moment to say how humbled I am that this program is now heard on WVON, the voice of the Negro, 1690 a.m. in the city of Chicago. To Melody Span Cooper and the amazing team at this black-owned and operated iconic heritage station, I am profoundly grateful for the opportunity to return to the airways of my beloved city of Chicago. So to all my friends, family, and followers in Chicago, I owe you a debt, and I will spend every day doing my level best to bring you a program that will enlighten encourage and empower you starting right now with Connie Rice. Connie, how are you today? Hey, Travis, congratulations. The shy. Yeah, the shy, yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're, 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 Listen, I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. You first, I'm, you first. Yeah, I'm vaxxed and taxed. Got my vaccine and paid my taxes. Okay. <laughs> uh yeah, we should all be vaxxed and taxed right about now. There is so much political stuff to get into in this hour. Uh, but I thank you for the congratulations. It's an honor to be on in Chicago and Philly and New Orleans. All these stations are rolling in one one at a time. And uh Chicago's a big deal. Um I said to somebody last night that when you get to three or four of the top five cities in this country in just a matter of weeks, it's a big deal. So I'm humbled by the persons who are coming on line, the various affiliates coming online regularly uh, carrying our program. And today it's Chicago. So I love the city of Chicago and look forward to talking to Mayor Johnson uh, in our third hour. That's it. Let's jump right in. Uh, so, well, matter of fact, let me do this. I'm looking at the clock. Uh, if I start, I know you, especially on this first issue, it's going to take you more than a few seconds. So let me just give the audience a sense of where we're going to go in this hour. It's some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, the Trump trial is underway right now, literally. Uh, the, the first of these many trials that we're going to see during this campaign. This is the one, uh, the civil case, uh, He's already decided, the judge in this case, that, that Trump inflated his financial statements. And now he will make a ruling in this case that will no doubt affect Trump's future as a businessman and maybe even this race of so the trial regarding his uh, overinflating his 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 worth. Uh, his financial statements. That's the trial that starts today. It's underway even as we speak. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the, the government shutdown that was narrowly averted. Um, this weekend, we thought that things might go differently. Kevin McCarthy finally figured it out. You got to work with Democrats. Kai and I said that weeks ago. He figured it out, uh, and that's been uh, avoided. And yet, Matt Getz out of Florida has said he's going to call uh, for a voice uh, vote uh, to vacate Speaker McCarthy. So Republicans are going at it today. We'll talk about that. Today is the first term, as you heard me say earlier. We'll talk about it more in our second hour. But today is the first day of the new term for the Supreme Court. You know Attorney Connie Rice will have some thoughts about that. Uh, and uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor here in the state of California, where I'm sitting right now, has picked LaFonza Butler to fill Diane Feinstein's Senate seat. You know, she passed away last week. I got some thoughts about that myself, some commentary on that. I'm not happy about this. I'll tell you why when we come forward and we'll get Connie's take on it as well. Lots to talk about in this first hour. You're listening, and I'm glad about it, to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. All right, Connie Rice, let's jump. We will start with the Trump trial that is uh, underway even as we speak, uh, the first of many that uh, likely will come down the pike uh, between now and Election Day 2024. This is the one, once again, about uh, inflating his financial statements brought by Letitia James, the attorney general in New York State. Take it away, Connie Rice. Yeah, Attorney James, boy, she got a slammed and jammed opinion from this judge on Friday, Tavis. In summary judgment, which is basically a sort of first step motion that says kick this case out because, you know, or, or either kick this case, which is what Trump was saying, because there are no issues. And Attorney James said not only are there no issues, not only are there issues, but 
Your Honor, you should rule in our favor on the findings of fraud because there are no issues of fact about fraud. It's screaming neon clear that this man for decades has has defrauded banks through filing false statements about the worth of his properties in order to get more favorable loans, more favorable loan rates, and access to financial instruments that he shouldn't have had access to if they had really known that he didn't have a 30,000-foot apartment in his Trump Towers. It was 2,000. <laughs> so, so he inflated the value, as you said. Now, the judge came out with a blistering. I mean, you needed you needed Kevlar gloves to handle this opinion. It was <laughs> piping hot. Okay, he he didn't just rule fraud, David. He wrote he read massive fraud. Mm. Trump's entire business enterprises in New York State are based on massive fraud. So most of the case is done. That what's left is how much money is he going to have to pay, and is he going to have to sell his building? Mm. Is he going? Is are his companies are now had their corporate certificates uh, revoked, which means that none of his New York corporations are in business. There is an out of order sign on Trump Enterprises in New York State. This is a dagger aimed at his financial empire, but it is not a criminal case. There's mm. nobody going to jail. Mm-hmm. Just going to be a massive amount of money. And Attorney General James. Um, has has asked for a quarter of a billion dollars in damages. Mm-hmm. This judge might go higher. Mm. And why do you why do you think the judge may go higher in this case? Because we don't know on the basis of what the damages are going to be based. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be on the difference between the interest rates of which he should have been eligible for, as opposed to what he got? Is it going to be that difference? Is it going to be the entire enterprise? For example, if he built a building, an entire skyscraper built on false, is he going to have to sell that building? We don't know on what basis the damages are going to be based. That's what we'll find out today, yeah. maybe. One of the things I thought about um, over the the weekend when we saw this case coming, and he tried to avert it. I said earlier. The judge said absolutely not. Uh, and by the way, we should also mention that this that this is not one of those jury trials. This is a judge who is going to make this rendering. And given what he's already said, you heard Condi um, lay it out a moment ago, uh, you get a good sense of where this judge is headed in this case. And that's why Condi, in part, says he may even go higher. He's already given us a good sense of the way he sees this particular case. That said, one of the things I thought about when we saw this coming uh, on Monday, uh, Condi, is to take you back to the campaign and how... Uh, and the ways in which Donald Trump, as the first candidate ever, got away with not releasing any tax information. And this is why it matters when people are running for the highest office in the land that they reveal uh, the kinds of information that voters have a right to know if they want to lead the country. Uh, And so he's the first person ever to sort of get away with not releasing any of his financials. And now that this thing has come full circle, of course, he's out of office now, running once again for the White House. Good win. We shall see. But what does this say to you, at least, about the value of voters getting a a, a look-see at your financials, which, which again, he was able to avoid uh, all during that campaign, both campaigns? It's absolutely essential. He's the only presidential candidate and president who never divulged his work or his tax returns. Mm-hmm. And and the Democrats, when they had all three branches of government under their control, they didn't pass the law that would have required all presidential U.S. presidential candidates to do, to hand over their tax returns. So I, I you know that's just one more mark against the Democrats because mm-hmm. when they have power, they don't use it. Yep. So um, absolutely, the thing of it is. 
he ran on the basis of, I want to run America the way I run my businesses. Well, Mayor Bloomberg told us he was a fraud. He Mm. said, I know a con man when I see one. It's too bad the voters don't. Mm. But he knew that he was a financial fraud. Most of Manhattan Wall Street knew he was a financial fraud. Most of the banks on Wall Street would not deal with him. Only Deutsche Bank would deal with him. So the business community knew. Um, and he's just because he's a great, he's, he's like, you know, D.T. Barnum, Donald Trump Barnum, you know, he's a great circus barker and he creates an image that completely, through charismatic narcissism, completely bamboozles people. And he had just enough banks and, and ways of getting money for his casinos, money for his, uh, to build his skyscrapers. And of course, he's defrauding workers. He wouldn't pay his workers. He doesn't pay his lawyers. He's basically a fraud machine. Mm. And that's how he has built the image of his empire. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a lot of money. Yeah. But he doesn't have as much money as he told the voters he did. And he certainly doesn't have the business acumen. It wasn't the art of the deal. It was the art of the steal and the art of the fraud. Mm-hmm. For those who may be hearing this program for the very first time, uh, you may know, and I hope you know, uh, after all the years I've been doing this, that my politics are unapologetically progressive. But that also means telling the truth. Uh, and I believe in that, and so do my guests. Uh, and Connie just put a truth uh, uh, on front uh, street that you need to be aware of. When the Democrats, once again, had the opportunity uh, to pass a bill uh, declaring, uh, demanding that any presidential candidate release their tax information, they punted. They did not do it. And had they done that then, we might not be in the situation now. But certainly Donald Trump not once but twice got away without releasing, uh, having not to, 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 uh, to share with us uh, his tax uh, forms, his tax statements. And this is what you get when, 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 the, when, the, when, the, when the light is finally shined on uh, the reality of his financial uh, financial situation, this is what you learn. But why didn't we know this? Why couldn't we have known this four or eight years ago? I digress on that point. This is what happens when you hide stuff like that. Moving on, uh, some of the issues to cover. Uh, a lot of things trending uh, in this first hour today. So I, I don't know that I don't know exactly what I expected. <laughs> I don't know what you expected, kind. I want to find out. Um, but there are all kinds of bets uh, uh, inside the Beltway and outside of whether or not the government would, in fact, actually shut down last week. I was fascinated to read a number of polls that um, that I found, again, really, really, really peculiar, that most Americans were not even checking for this. And, and, and what the polls underscored was that Americans have seen this game of chicken so many times that they were basically sort of checked out. They're watching football and whatever else they're doing, but they're, they're basically sort of checked out on this because they've seen, again, this game of chicken played out so many times before. So I don't know if the American public thought the government would or would not shut down. Uh, thankfully, it did not shut down for those who would have been harmed in the process. But Kevin McCarthy uh, is being told by Matt Getz out of Florida he's going to pay a price for this, and they're going to they're gonna bring to, if Matt Getz has his way, bring to the floor a vote. Uh, an immediate vote on his speakership. What do you make then of uh, the government not shutting down, but more more importantly for the moment, uh, the infighting uh, that's underway uh, inside the Republican Party on the House side? Well, it's fratricide in the clown car, as far as I can see. <laughs> and McCarthy, <laughs> McCarthy, I think he's weighing his job on the one hand and the, and the financial and, cre- and, and fiscal credit of the United States, on the other hand, had a tough choice to make, I guess, for him. But in the end, I think he decided that he'd been bullied enough and humiliated enough by 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 the crackpot caucus of the of the GOP, the MAGA nuts, and he decided to come to his senses and do what you said he needed to do five weeks ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was 
let's just strike a deal. Because the Senate, of course, acted like the adults. They passed a bipartisan budget proposal that would not shut the government down. McCarthy had the choice of either going with something with the Dems, Dems, you know, mm-hmm. under under this under the minority leaders, uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries' leadership. They they said, okay, let's let's bail him out now. But they're really bailing out the country. I don't think the voters know. They, they know. they know that the crazy clown car is in charge right now because McCarthy made a deal to become speaker. They gave them inordinate power to throw him out of the speakership. And McCarthy wants that job so badly that he takes us to the brink once again. Reneged on a deal that he made with Biden to do a budget deal that would have averted a shutdown for a long time. But uh, reneged on that as soon as his job got got. So he's such a weak speaker. Mm. He may lose his job, but I'm sorry. It's what you and I said last time, which is, and he's doing what we told him to do. McCarthy is, bring it on. You mm-hmm. want to take me out? You don't have anybody who can replace me. It took you 15 rounds to put me in. You know, let's go through <laughs> that again if you want to. Yeah. You know, you know, just just tell him, bring it on, you yeah. know, and let, see, see what kind of chaos. So it's the chaos, the chaos clowns. Uh, who were in there with the with the QAnon shaman, I guess, as candidate for Secretary of State of Trump wins. You know, these people are nuts. Mm. They're not Republicans. They're not conservatives. They're just extreme nuts. And to give them the levers of government is beyond irresponsible. It's malpractice. It's it's criminal. And that's who that's it. And so Americans should be watching football because this 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 is rated X. So no one should be have to watch this. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Getz, uh yesterday on uh, one of the Sunday morning programs said, I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. That was his commitment yesterday. Um, and my, my, my sense is, before I move on here, my sense is kind of this is not the last motion to vacate dare um, that we're going to see uh, over the next uh, year or two. Um, to your point, he, he got in in a very precarious situation. And my sense is that this is uh, that Matt Getz is the first one to do it. But there are going to be a number of these other a number of other uh, motion to vacate uh, dares and votes called on his speakership. You think I'm right about that? I think you're right. But right now, Gates, who you have to remember, was under uh, investigation for two years for trafficking teens across uh, state lines for sexual purposes. You know, he barely escaped that indictment. This nut is going to threaten McCarthy, which he makes McCarthy look reasonable, which tells you where, what frame we're in. Yeah. Now, he can continue to do that, but he's not getting any. He can't even get some of the conservative nut caucus to back him. So I, I don't even know if he's going to be able to do it. We'll see. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm not sure he'll be able to pull this off either. Um, but but every time this comes up, it's a huge story. It's a huge distraction. Uh, and we're going to be subject to this uh, uh, over and over and over again. I, I had my issues with Nancy Pelosi on a number of things from time to time, albeit uh, I think all things considered she was a great speaker. I had issues from time to time. But, man, I miss Nancy Pelosi right about now with all the drama that uh, Kevin McCarthy and Republicans keep pulling us through. I digress on that for the moment. The Supreme Court. We'll talk more about this again in our second hour, the full hour. We'll talk about uh, this new uh, brilliant documentary series about the Supreme Court, a four-part series now running on Paramount Plus and Showtime. Look forward to talking to Don Porter, the producer of that series, once again today in hour two. But Connie is a brilliant, uh, brilliant lawyer, uh, and the Supreme Court uh, is opening its new term today. And I want to start with a broad question, and then we'll get to some of the issues they're going to be talking about in this term. But they were so disappointing in so many ways. Nobody trusts them anymore. Their their poll numbers. I'm talking now about the Supreme Court. Their poll numbers are in the toilet, uh, and people are really looking at them with a sort of John Destive, given this rightward shift. So before I talk about specific cases. I want to just tee up right quick that you're going to hear in this term. Your thoughts, uh, Connie, about the return of this court, given all the damage they did the last term. 
boy, the question is, are they going to veer further right, or mm. are they going to move back to a right-wing 6-3 court, mm. as opposed to the kind of extreme court? And, you know, I mean, you've got Chief Justice Roberts who wants to destroy rights incrementally so that we don't get too shocked, and then you've got the wrecking ball caucus of the Supreme Court that did Dobbs, mm-hmm. just ripped away a 50-year right for women to control their bodies and have reproductive freedom when they ended access and they you know, just took away constitutional protection for what women do with their bodies. Um, and, and with that, we're still in post-Dobbs shock, so we're still having those shockwaves. Now, the question for this term is, are they going to continue to go further to the right, or are they going to go a little bit further in, back toward the center? They're not in the center, but back toward the center. Mm. And what's what if you were voting, if you were be- voting, if you were betting, uh, how'd you bet? How would you bet on your own on your own question? I think it goes case by case this time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we've got some we've got an interesting lineup. Um, I think the most important of the cases is the cluster of administrative law cases asking do federal agencies, which are based their opinions are based on experts, scientists, doctors and so forth, like the EPA, uh, you know, the, the, the Federal Reserve, all of these agencies that actually issue the rules that make our water clean, our air safer, air traffic control regulated, and so forth, do those agencies still have the power to make those regulations? Or does a judge get to step in and substitute her judgment for the experts of that agency? So there are a couple of cases. It's, it's, it's about um, limiting agency control to be able to make rules. And you've got you've got a Federal Reserve case. You've got a who knew a fisheries case. I didn't even know there was such a. Then <laughs> 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 you've got an SEC. Can the SEC, for example, issue rules to enforce securities fraud? And that's the Jar- the Jar- the Jarkizi case. Mm-hmm. The Raimondo case is about boats. Can boats fishing vessels be required to pay for and have on their boats monitors to make sure that the fishers that the, that the boats aren't overfishing in violation of federal law. Can a federal agency do that or does a judge have to authorize it or does Congress have to authorize that specific rule? And then finally the Consumer Finance Protection Agency is challenging how that agency was funded. So if the courts decide and, and then the abortion pill case itself, can the FDA adopt a thousand doctors' opinions that the abortion pill is 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 safe, and five million abortions with that pill show that it's safe. Can a judge come in twenty years later and say FDA didn't have that power? We're taking this pill off the off the off the uh, off the counters. That's the kind of so that's that's what I meant by existential. Mm-hmm. If if agencies can't make rules, we are going to be safer, dumber, and deader. And and I don't and, and but what it does is it fulfills the right wing destruction of democracy, mm-hmm. destruction of government agenda by say, taking away the power. No, that's that's the key point. Um, the these cases that kind of just laid out. Uh, I hope you followed all of that. Really uh, underscore that the the, the term uh, the Supreme Court is now starting today is going to really look at the role, the proper role, and the power of government, specifically government agencies. And to her point, uh, if they rule a particular way, then we're going to be less safe, we're going to be dumber, we're going to be uh, more vulnerable. We'll digress on that for the moment. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Helping to make you you? the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. 
Indeed, Tavis Smiley talking to Connie Rice as we uh, uh, plow through a number of trending political topics uh, in this first hour. Uh, once again, our second hour today, the um, Supreme Court is back in session today. It's a new term. We'll talk about a powerful new documentary series uh, in hour two called Deadlocked, How America Shaped the Supreme Court. We'll talk to the filmmaker behind that project, Don Porter. It's now streaming on Paramount Plus uh, and Showtime. In our third hour, a conversation with the mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, we're launching today on WVON, 1690 AM. We'll talk to your mayor uh, in Chicago today at the top of our three. And then we will be joined uh, by Aaron Neville out with a finally has written his memoir. We'll talk to Aaron Neville uh, in our three. We continue now, as I said, though, with, with Connie Rice. Connie, before I get to uh, these two major stories, uh, black women have had uh, quite, a, uh, quite a few days. Over the past few days, uh, a couple of black women have done some pretty amazing things. Uh, LaFonza Butler will be a new African-American woman in the United States Senate. Uh, sitting in the seat once occupied by Diane Feinstein. My commentary about that and Connie's thoughts about that in a moment. In case you also missed it, uh, Harvard, Harvard, where Connie spent some time, has a black woman as its president. Uh, a black woman is now leading Harvard, in case you missed that story. We'll talk about that uh, in just a moment as well. Before I do either of those, Connie, one final thing. I want to just close this circle on the Supreme Court. Um, so the new term begins today. I assume at this moment, I, I want to be wrong about this, but speaking of earlier, our conversation about Democrats not always having the spine that they need to have. They refuse to pass legislation to demand that all presidential candidates show their tax returns when they had control. They didn't do it. And now you get Donald Trump in a case today um, showing all the lies that he told about his net worth. Uh, that case underway uh, literally as we speak in New York State, brought by Letitia James, the black woman attorney general uh, in the state of New York. So that's where we end up. Uh, my question is whether or not at this point, um, Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito have gotten away with all of their nonsense, uh, all of the uh, the money and all of the luxury gifts and all the travel. That was a huge story. And Democrats could have been a great deal more aggressive about that. This was their moment to do something about this out of control Supreme Court, specifically where Clarence Thomas is concerned. But when I when I look at it at this moment, it feels like uh, now that all has been said and done, more was said than will be done. Absolutely right. There's going to be more talk. We'll see if the talk gets momentum, because right now the American people are saying they want an ethics code. They want an ethics code for the Supreme Court. They want some restrictions. Not enough people, only 44% want the court expanded, but they have the, the Supreme Court is in the tank. They're down there with used car salesmen in terms of <laughs> approval at this point. So, I, you know, but the thing of it is, the people who are flying them around on these jets and, and billion-dollar, uh, you know, billion-dollar jets and, and, and you know, $100,000 vacations and whatnot, they're the same people lobbying to deregulate the FDA. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so they, you know, they're actually catering to the class, the people, the billionaire class, who want government not to regulate them, not to tax them not to control them, not to restrain them. And that's why it's more than an appearance of impropriety. I think this border is on malpractice. Yeah. Uh, and yet, uh, to your point and to my point, it appears that Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito will get away with this. Uh, Clarence Thomas, I should say, once again, he's been doing it for years. Uh, nothing seems to have happened. All we're talking about now is the new term of the court. But Democrats have not taken uh, the opportunity, uh, given the power that they do have, to do something about uh, this out-of-control Supreme Court and all of this uh, uh, this merrymaking and hanging out with friends and, and, 
And uh, again, impropriety, as Connie put it. But I digress. Just want to take her temperature on that. So to these to these two black women who had to who made quite a bit of news over the last uh, few days. Let me start with Claudine Gay. Connie spent some time, of course, on the campus of Harvard uh, and Harvard inaugurated uh, its uh, first black president, uh, a sister named Claudine Gay. She gave a pretty amazing speech. I got a chance to check it out. Um, but um, let me just say this, Connie, I, I, I always have an uneasy relationship uh, with African-American first. As you know, uh, I've been an African-American first in many parts of my career. The first black person to host his own show on NPR. The first black person to have his own TV show every night on PBS. Uh, so I, I've been blessed in a number of uh, parts of my career to be an African-American first. And yet, as time goes on, I, I feel some sort of way about that because what it does is it reminds us, it reminds me certainly of all the things that we have been not allowed to do, all the places and spaces that we've been kept out of. So on the one hand, I celebrate these African-American first. On the other hand, it's not that there weren't Negroes prior to who were qualified to do it. They just never got the opportunity. I quote my friend Jesse Jackson, speaking of Chicago, the Jackie Roosevelt Robinson weren't the first Negro who could play with the white boys. He's the first one they gave the opportunity to play with the white boys. And so I celebrate these African-American first, but it always gives me an uneasy feeling because it reminds me of all the ways that we have been denied. That's my take. What's your read on this sister who now is running Harvard of all places? She gets a standing ovation for me, and I agree with you as tokens. You and I are both tokens. We operate in the top 10% of the country. There's a thought for the day. We are both tokens. Okay, Connie, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Just understand where you are and what frame you're in, okay? <laughs> you know, please. You think I, you really think there weren't people smarter than me that came before me? Please, they could run circles around me. They just weren't allowed yeah. through the door. Yeah. You know, they, they had to die for us. They died opening the door for you and me. Mm-hmm. Let's just be very clear about oh, that. Yes. All we had to do was walk through That's the right. That's right. Okay. That's okay. Right. Okay. So, but nonetheless, I celebrate all these firsts, the first astronaut, the first president of, of, of Harvard. Um, all of these things are important symbols. They do not get to the systemic inequality, which is now getting worse. Mm-hmm. It's accelerating. And we are in the midst of the biggest retraction, retrenchment, and make America white again, white lash mm-hmm. that we've seen since post-Reconstruction. And that's the frame we're in. So doesn't mean we don't celebrate these gains. Um, without them, yeah, the, thing that, the other thing that it communicates is it makes white Americans who are indifferent to African-American issues, and that's the majority, not hostile, but indifferent to, they look at that as a sign that things are okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the other problem with first is that, mm-hmm. oh, we're still, we are still making progress, but progress in this country isn't a crystal stair. It's yeah. not an arc. It's a jagged back and forth. Yeah. Two steps forward, three steps back, five steps forward, ten steps back. And with Obama's uh, election as the first African-American president, we went ten steps forward, and now we're going 20 steps back. Yeah. And that's that's my concern, uh, that every time we celebrate these African-American first, and they ought to be acknowledged, they ought to be celebrated, but it reminds us again of the individual success that we have, but not the collective. There are a few Negroes who can squeeze through. As Connie said, we're all tokens. <laughs> I received that. Uh, we squeeze through, but we have individual success. But the collective, 
Uh, African-Americans still lag far behind white folk in every single leading economic indicator category. The collective is still in trouble, even as certain individuals squeeze through. That said, we congratulate Claudine Gay, the first um, African-American, only the second woman to lead Harvard University. Congratulations to President Gay. When we come forward, we'll talk about U.S. Senator uh, uh, LaFonza Butler, uh, Gavin Newsom had to select someone to fill the seat of Dianne Feinstein, but I've got some issues with this. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear what Connie's take is. I haven't heard her take on this, but I'm going to give you my take on Gavin Newsom picking a black woman to be a seat warmer. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. All right, Connie, let me quickly give you my take on LaFonza Butler um, as the selection of uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom to fill the seat uh, the remaining days of the seat that Dianne Feinstein once held. Of course, Feinstein passed away last week, uh, serving 30 years in the Senate representing California. Uh, and um, so a choice had to be made. And Gavin Newsom has chosen. Uh, a black woman uh, named LaFonza Butler, who we all know well around these parts, um, a, a former labor leader turned power player, now will be serving in the Senate. And here's my read on this. And for the, for those around the country who uh, have been seeing and hearing stories about Gavin Newsom and this upcoming debate he's going to have with Ron DeSantis, and you think that he is he's uh, some sort of champion, uh, let me just tell you about the Gavin Newsom that I know and the Gavin Newsom that we know here in the state of California before you see this debate and get all turned on by Gavin Newsom. This is the same Gavin Newsom, number one, who refused to endorse Karen Bass when she ran for mayor of this city. She's running against this uh, uh, billionaire named Rick Caruso who tried every trick in the book. Uh, to stop her from winning that race. And Gavin Newsom said, uh, I know both of them. Now, Karen's a Democrat and you're a Democrat. Gavin Newsom, uh, for you listening in the national audience, refused to endorse Karen Bass as mayor of this city. He suggested the idea of looking at reparations, and now he's moonwalking on reparations, particularly when it comes to payments. The same Gavin Newsom who had a chance to put someone in the seat that Kamala Harris had when she became vice president, a black woman, pulled off something historic being elected to the U.S. Senate in this state. He doesn't replace her with a black woman. He put a Latino in that seat, Alex Padilla, who I know. I ain't hating on Alex. You get an opportunity, you take it. But if a black woman runs and wins that seat, shouldn't that have been the moment where you put a black woman in the United States Senate to replace Kamala Harris? You didn't. You went the other way and you put a Latino in that seat. He said there'd be no precondition. He said that uh, one of his conditions, rather, would be that whoever you appointed to the seat would not run. Well, somehow he backed off of that, and at least there are no preconditions to LaFonza Butler accepting this seat, but he changed his sort of view on that. Uh, I could go on and on and on. I want to just give you a sense of the way that I see Gavin Newsom playing black folk. I don't like it. Uh, I don't like it when anybody uh, plays these games with black voters, takes us for granted, exploits us. LaFonza Butler is at best a seat warmer. Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, all members of the House are running for that seat right now. Uh, But he puts a black woman in this seat with only a few months left to go. But he had a real opportunity to do something on the Kamala Harris seat, and he didn't. He didn't endorse Karen Bass. He's moonwalking on reparations. So I want to just give you the other side of Gavin Newsom that you may not see. When we come forward, I'll give all the rest of the time to Connie Rice to tell you what she thinks about this historic appointment. Again, this is no hate on LaFonza Butler. Uh, But there are questions being raised about whether LaFonza even lives in California. She owns property here, but does she live here? 
Um, we we could have called uh, Stacey Abrams or Keisha Lance Bottoms. We just wanted a black woman to represent California in the Senate, no matter where they lived. I'm not hating on LaFonza, but this choice and the way that Gavin Newsom went about doing it and playing black folk as if we're stupid. We got you elected. We saved you during the recall. We got you reelected. I don't like playing these kinds of games with black folk. I digress. Connie Rice will have the final moments when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love, this is Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Five minutes left, Connie Rice. They're all yours. Forgive me for not being excited about LaFonza Butler as a seat warmer. That's my take, but that's not important. I want to hear your take. All yours. <laughs> it's equally important, Tavis. But you, as you know, this won't be the first time. Won't be the last. I'm probably wandered off the plantation on this one. I, I'm looking at Gavin Newsom, and I see a man running for president. Mm-hmm. You know that when folks run for president, everything is a calculation. Sure. And Newsom is just looking at the math. Uh, doesn't matter what promises he made when it came time to replace. Kamala Harris ran a brilliant race at the right time and, and had the backing of the national machine behind her. She won that Senate race for some very special reasons. She had the brilliant Willie Brown mm-hmm. backing her. It, 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 you know, it, it was the right time, right woman, right, right race, right? You move down to where Newsom is saying, okay, okay. He's looking at the fact that this state is almost 40% Latino. Mm-hmm. It's 4% black. So what's going to advance his presidential prospects better? And Alex Padilla, as you know, is an ally of ours. He's mm-hmm. a friend of ours. Sure, sure, sure. And so this is not about Alex Padilla, but this is about a, a cold calculation. He's doing the math. Newsom is doing the math. So um, he's also doing the math here. Now, we've, we're five weeks from the primary. You've got three top Democratic contenders, Barbara Lee, Schiff, and Porter. Mm-hmm. You know, Barbara Lee's at 7%, and Schiff and Porter look like they're the two top runners. They're probably going to be in the runoff, and Barbara Lee probably won't make it. Right. I, you know, things could change in the next five weeks. But Newsom's not going to weigh in on that. To what advantage? The math doesn't add up. So, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just taking a cold political eye to this. Um, reparations doesn't poll well. Mm-hmm. He's going to walk back on that. He's going he's gonna to support the parts of the poll that say 60% of Californians do believe that slavery, the vestiges of slavery still hamper African-Americans, but they don't want to do it through, through cash payments. He's going to go with the other stuff in the poll. Okay, He's not going to go with reparations, the cash payment reparations. So all I'm saying is, Look, LaFonza Butler is a queen maker. Mm-hmm. She's got incredible labor, women's chops, women and feminism chops. She's got incredible um, LGBTQ chops. That's probably closer to Feinstein's portfolio than anything that, you know, that Barbara Lee has. And she comes with help in a presidential election. Plus, she was a senior advisor to Kamala Harris in mm-hmm. her campaign for vice president. So, you know, I, I, I take nothing away from either of these wonderful uh, leaders, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Lee or, or Butler, um, but I understand what Newsom is doing. Yep. I get it, too. I just don't like it. <laughs> I, totally, yeah, I, know. I, totally, I totally get it, <laughs> I, but, I, but I ain't got to like it. Uh, and, at, and at the end of the day, 
Uh, you can follow the mat. Uh, and the reason why you know, it's a beautiful thing to be syndicated is you can talk to a broader audience and let people know, you know, when you when you when, when Gavin Newsom does, in fact, decide he's running for president, because everybody knows that's what it's all about somewhere down the road. And maybe sooner than you think. Who knows? Put a pin in that for the moment. Uh, but I want them to see him in a 360 view, not just, you know, a, a partial 45, 45 degree angle. I want you to see him all the way around. And this is the way that he is so calculating about everything he does. Now, on the one hand, I'm not naive. That's what politicians do. They calculate. I get it. But I'm at the point in my life. I am sick of being a political calculation. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of being a calculation by politicians who only want to do X, Y, and Z to advance their own ends and aims in the process. Black folk get exploited. I don't like it. Enough said. I'm done with it for now. I thank Connie Rice for coming on today to unpack these political issues. We'll do it again down the road. Connie, have a great day. I appreciate you and I love you. Appreciate you too. Love you too, Dad. Take uh, care. Thank you.